Welcome to the Text and Rock Show. Ancient Story, Better Tomorrow. Let's begin. Hey, text and rockers. It's Mark. I'm flying solo for just a few minutes. Eric's coming over in a minute to record a couple more episodes. And I'm sitting here with a cup of coffee. It's a beautiful day in Iowa, blue skies over the reservoir behind my house. And I was thinking, you know, if I'm a listener and some of these ideas are starting to stretch me, the main question I have about the Last episode is, well, what do you mean interpretation changes every 500 years? Well, like, what are those big movements of interpretation? So I wanted to see if in like eight to 10 minutes, I could explain. I've never tried to do this like this fast, but briefly where sacred texts come from and then how they get reinterpreted again and again in every age. Ancient literature doesn't fall out of the sky. And that's something that sounds obvious and logical. And yet so many of us are in religious traditions that fundamentally claim revelation, that the arrow points down, that the sacred text came down from the heavens. And all we have to do is plug and play into our lives so that the lower house reflects the upper house, etc. The problem with that is that we know how ancient literature is produced now. We're sitting on about 200 years of scholarship for how ancient literature was produced and kind of how it works. Yes, so I guess, first of all, there's a lot of different kinds of human literature that becomes sacred or comes to be held religiously for a community. Sometimes it's a composite type literature or running narrative, like in Genesis or Exodus, where scribes have compiled the best stories from their culture and stitched them together into one story. Sometimes it's a collection of poems or proverbs, or sometimes it's a short story. Other times it's a law collection or a collection of traditions. Sometimes in the case of the New Testament, it's even a letter, like someone wrote a letter to be circulated and over time it's come to be held as sacred. And so the types of literature that come to be held as religiously sacred or set apart or holy are really diverse. And then second, sacred literature is made sacred by a community. It's whenever a group of people comes to view it as their text or their foundational book or their foundational instruction, whenever a text comes to guide or instruct or inform the rules of a community, it becomes a sacred text. Sometimes writers are trying to make a sacred literature. Other times it just happens. But what makes a text scripture that is sacred literature is not that it it fell from heaven it's the community that's come to view it that way and that's why there are so many different 
religious expressions linked to a sacred text. These are communities that came to view a group of texts as sacred, and now they reference them again and again. Third, when a text comes to be viewed as sacred, it starts getting preserved. The moment a group comes to view a text as being divine in some way or another, well, then we don't want to change it. It's revelation in our minds, right? And so instead of adding to it or changing it around a bunch, it starts to get transmitted through copying instead of being reworked or retold. And this happens with biblical literature. This happens with Homer, the pagan Bible. And this is why one of the ways we think about monks or monastics is, well, sitting in a cave, copying and recopying texts, right? Once a text is sacred, you want to preserve it exactly as it's supposed to be. Well, because you believe it came from the heavens. Now, as soon as this happens, as soon as a text gets viewed as sacred, it runs the risk of losing relevance. Think about it. We, we don't live in the Iron Age Israel, but the Bible does. We don't readily believe in miracles or in magic, but for Hesiod or for Homeric verse, well, the gods come down all the time and they do stuff all the time. In fact, why would you even tell a story that didn't have a miracle? We don't take war captives and enslave them. We don't stone people. We don't run into too many ox gorings or have entirely different sets of rules for people who are not ethnically like us, at least not anymore. Hopefully we're past that, right? But in ancient texts, you run into these things. Sometimes they're very violent. Sometimes the laws, like if we followed them, would seem like a huge regression. And this is because culture and humanity keeps evolving and growing and hopefully changing towards good things like more justice, more human rights, more reason prevailing. But if you think about it, our religious texts, our sacred texts have become fixed. And that is why the task of reading a sacred text any amount of time after it has been fixed or made scripture is one of interpretation. Interpretation is how we update the meaning of a text when we have a gap in relevance between when it was written and when we live now. Because culture continues to evolve, morph, change, over time take on different values, but the sacred text, the literature that we're using as the text that informs all of our questions, who is God? Who are we as a people? What does it look like to live as a people under these gods? That's fixed while culture is changing. And so in the case of, I don't know, Homer, the pagan Bible, it used to be the most virtuous thing imaginable for a warrior to run up to another person and throw a spear deep into their chest cavity and absorb their kleos or energy or warrior uh, spirit into themselves and their glory into themselves and become a bigger and bigger deal. By late antiquity, 
you know, philosophers like the Stoics would look back on this literature and be like, that's barbaric and brutal. And that's actually not what we want people to be doing. And so what do they do? They reinterpret that text towards the virtues they do accept, right? And so we shouldn't throw spears into people, but we should have courage. Courage is the virtue we can see there, right? Look at the stories of judges in the Bible. They're violent, they're dark humor, and they're gory. Um, And ancient Israel, the community that produced those texts, well, they have no problem with the warrior ethos, the us and them mentality, the ethnocentrism. And yet later writers like the church fathers are going to take those stories and say, well, you know, you shouldn't run around doing the stuff that Samson does, but you can learn from his bravery or his fortitude, or you can learn from his vice, his rashness, his unchecked anger, just like you could from Achilles. And so basically your sacred text starts to be reinterpreted early on because it's losing relevance every moment as culture changes. This episode was influenced by audio track, searching by Mata's Yahoo, Dance Berber's book, Explaining Culture, and the lectures of Dr. David Aaron, professor of Bible and interpretation at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. The Text and Rock Show is the creative work of Mark Schaefer and Eric Madison. Don't forget to subscribe so you know when new episodes drop. If the show adds value to your life, please consider leaving them a review or sharing Textandrock with a friend. You can explore other Textandrock digital productions or contact Mark and Eric by simply clicking the link in the show notes. Yeah, it pops up every time. It's like we're Dropbox. And we have come for your soul. We have come for your soul. Give me your files. Give them to me. <laughs> <laughs> Serious. I haven't saved anything to Dropbox in years, and I can't get rid of it. I know. I know. <sighs> oh my gosh.